the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, we're in a series on thankfulness, looking at a theology of thankfulness. And so last week, we uh, looked at Romans 1 and basically how one of the core issues that uh, contributes to our fallenness is the reality that we are not thankful people. And uh, giving glory to God and giving thankfulness to God is, is sort of a key that unlocks our faithfulness to God. And now through Christ, we actually have the opportunity to live thankful, grateful lives in friendship and intimacy with God. And so we had talked about writing down like five things a day that you were thankful for, which is harder than you think it would be. So how many of you actually did it? Four of you, no. How many of you are lying? <laughs> you know, somebody was out there just be like, oh yeah, totally, I did that. What, what did we do? Um, no, so, so it's a practice, but it's a hard practice. And I had uh, somebody say, like, this is harder than I thought it would be. I mean, I could say really, you know, nonsense kind of things I'm thankful for, but the reality is it's, it's a hard and difficult practice. And I think the reason it is because our natural bentness, just like Romans 1 tells us, is to move to wanting to be the creator rather than the created. To want to be the one that's in control rather than the one that worships the one who's in control. We, we want to uh, possess and own rather than live a life of humble, faithful gratefulness. And so as much as you feel resistance towards it, it's almost a better indication that we need to push into it and practice it even more. So this week, keep going. If you didn't jump on last week, jump on this week. Think of five things that you can thank God for. Today we're gonna to talk about thankfulness as a key to unlocking something within our soul that God is near to and that God is changing. And particularly when we think of other people, people that we are, have relationship with and people that perhaps we find it very difficult to love. And I just want to say up front that you will have resistance to this message. You'll want to walk out. You'll want to tune out. And, and I think the reason for that is because it just touches something core in our soul. We all have relationships that are complicated, whether it's family or spouses or kids or our church or our boss, our neighbor, and we find ourselves in these relationships and we don't perhaps know how to negotiate them. And even when we try, they still remain complicated or difficult because it takes these two people and in their interactions, maybe it's really not a clean thing. And you've given lots of energy and lots of time and you can't seem to fix it and so you just move quickly away from it. And what do you do in that place to prevent your heart from moving away from God's heart towards that person. 
How do we become the kind of people that display the love that Jesus tells us to display and that Jesus fills us with and invites us to overflow with to the rest of the world? But how do we do that? And how do we do that perhaps in our most difficult relationships? Have you ever had one of those relationships that you just want to quit? You want to be done with? Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it's a kid that you just want to write off. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a neighbor. But you know that relationship that you just go, I just need to quit this relationship. What do you do in that place? What do you do with thankfulness? What do you do with love? Where does the gospel show up in that place? And so as we come into this today... Uh, we know there are those here who want to quit their marriage, want to quit their church, want to quit their friends, want to quit their neighbors, want to give up on their kid. It's just the reality of our humanity. But in that reality that we try to sweep away or hide, that's a place the gospel perhaps needs to show up the most. So today that's what I want us to talk about, how does the, how does Jesus use our thankfulness to make us people of bold love? Um, and I want to think about it from, through the lens of the Apostle Paul. Paul, uh, if you want to turn with me to the book of Acts, we're going to skim through a couple things here. But in the book of Acts, Paul finds himself in chapter 16 going into a new region. And, and it's a region that has a lot more hostility towards him and the gospel. And so in chapter 16, he goes to Philippi and Lydia becomes a follower of Jesus and then he um, gets really irritated by uh, someone who's demon-possessed and he casts the demon out and then they arrest him and throw him in jail. And uh, so, so it's not like the welcome wagon is really there for him. And then he moves on from Philippi and he goes to this place called Thessalonica. And in verse five, you see the response to him being there. It says this, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. Think mafia, right? Bad characters. Like it's not just like, hey, you're, you cuss too much. Come with me, right? It's, these, are, these are like mafia gangster boys. And they round them up. And they form a mob and they start a riot in the city. And they rush to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas so they could bring him out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason's welcomed them into his house and they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they hear this, the crowd, the city officials, they're thrown into turmoil and they put Jason and the others out in bail and let them go. So here you are in a city and you're preaching the gospel. For some reason, Paul continues to be compelled to do this in difficult places. And the response is that people hire a hit squad to take you out. And so they leave this place and they go up to a place called Berea. And there's pretty good welcome for them there until this like hit squad follows them to Berea. And they move from there and they go, 
Paul separates from his friends and goes to Athens and preaches the gospel there, and then he ends up in Corinth. And he's in Corinth, he preaches the gospel, but there's still such opposition that he comes to this place where in verse six of chapter 18, he just says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest. And he said to them, your blood be on your heads, I'm innocent of it, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And I think that after all of this, Paul is in a place perhaps where he wants to quit. Probably one of the few times that he wanted to quit. Everywhere he goes, there's opposition. And everywhere he goes, that opposition is more than just hostile, but it's abusive, it's oppressive, it it threatens his life. And in this moment where he finally just says to the Corinthians, look, it's on you, I'm out. You see Jesus show up and speak to him in verse nine. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. No one's gonna attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. What I want us to look at is that here's a man who who continues, 2 Corinthians says that I am compelled by the love of Jesus. That's why he keeps preaching the gospel. And, And a person who continues to go into relationships that perhaps are not friendly and they do oppose him. In fact, most of the churches that he writes to, uh, a lot of them are questioning his apostleship, his authenticity, his gospel, his motives. And yet every, almost every one of those letters, he starts with how thankful he is for these people. And I believe that Paul learned this sort of secret of Romans one, that a life of thankfulness actually creates a heart of bold love for Jesus and for other people. So I wanna show you what that looks like from 1 Thessalonians, so turn with me there. As we answer the question, how did Paul stay in the game with this thankfulness? So chapter one, verse two, he says, we always thank God for all of you and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Right out of the gates, as he moves out of this place called Thessalonica, I don't know if he really understands what happened there or what the results of his preaching are, but he hears this story and finds out there is this community who have responded to the gospel, and he remembers them with this great affection. But his thankfulness, first and foremost, for these people is a thankfulness that they are loved by God, and he sees the evidence in their life, but he says, we always thank God for all of you. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Paul saw how deeply that God loved them and he gave thanks for them. 
And so the question that, that, that we ask ourselves is when you think of those relationships where there's opposition, whether opposition around the relationship or in the relationship, but do you believe that God loves them? Do you? I think for a lot of us, we don't wanna go there because we believe that our opinion about this person should be God's opinion about that person. And we're actually frustrated by the fact that God would show mercy, God would show grace, God would pursue, God would, would love with boldness. We actually think he should do what we do. And if your heart is moving that direction, then it's a sign that your heart is moving away from the gospel. And I'm not talking about the fact that this relationship will even be repaired. I'm simply saying, what is the condition of your heart towards the person? And could you give thanks that God loves them? One of, I think, the key for Paul's continual boldness in his love is that he is ultimately and absolutely convinced that God loves them. Do you believe it? You know, do you believe it in those relationships? Look at chapter two, verse one. You know, brothers and sisters, that on our visit to you, was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We, we look back at that passage and go, I think Paul is at a very fragile place. Perhaps he wants to give up. We know that there are people who are out for his life. So he continues to, to dare, no matter how outrageously he's treated, he would dare to speak of the love of God to them. That in the face of opposition... I think he has a thankful posture that, that moves him to love, a love that would dare to outrageously give himself away. So when you think, when you think of the opposition that's in these relationships, to your, your spouse or your neighbor or a friend, a parent, Do you believe that, that the gospel is bigger than the opposition? Do you believe that having the boldness to trust, to bank on the fact that this loving God who has sacrificed his son and overcome the grave, that he reigns in heaven, that his new agenda for the world, which would be to love and to heal, to restore and to reconcile, do you believe that that's bigger than your dad's attitude, than your spouse's coldness, than the season of life that your kid's in, than the fact that your boss is a jerk. 
Like, do you think that this gospel is bigger? And what's counterintuitive to it is that when the relationship is difficult, rather than you assuming God is, it holds your view towards that person, that you would move towards his view and that you would begin to give thanks for them. They are difficult. But they are not beyond God giving you love for them. What does it look like to hold love for people in difficult places? If you won't give thanks for that relationship, my money would say you'll never love them. Like if I can't even thank you for the fact that they exist, right, that you created them, that you died for them, if, if I can't even get there, then I'm probably never gonna get to any sense of genuine love. And, and, and the fruit of following Jesus is that you would love, you'd love your enemies. You'd pray for those who persecute you. You'd be following in the one who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do, right? And the more and more that your heart beats with the love of Jesus for people, even in your most difficult relationships, the more and more the the gospel shines into a culture because these are things that the world cannot understand or accept. Things like grace and Mercy and unconditional love. So who is that person that you want to quit on? That you want to give up the relationship? And would you dare, as Paul dared to preach the gospel in Thessalonica, would you dare to begin to give thanks for them? Would you dare to let the gospel convert your heart towards them, to love them beyond the opposition just requires you to believe that God's purposes of love are greater than the opposition. Could you believe that today? Look at verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. And then he goes on to explain what that looked like in them. I I imagine this story as Apostle Paul leaves wondering like is my life Worthless? Is it pointless? I go into these places, I preach the gospel, people are always there to oppose me, and I don't even know what happened. And then he hears, he hears that this group of people have responded, that the Spirit's at work in their life, and that, that, that they're being transformed by Jesus. And you can imagine what that felt like for him to know, like, it, God's showing up. I didn't understand it, I didn't know about it, I wasn't aware of it. But I think he had hope 
I think he had thankfulness that when he preaches the word, when he goes forth with the gospel, that it's not just his own human language, but it's actually the the word of God. And this is God's idea. This is how he's changing the world, and Paul gets to participate with him in that. And so when he doesn't see it or know it or can't quantify it, he trusts that God is at work. Could you give thanks? As Paul here gives thanks, could you give thanks that God is at work? Now we wanna look at that and we wanna evaluate, we wanna discern it, one go, no, he's not at work, he's written them off. And, and again, I think we go back to assume that God's attitude towards this relationship is mine. And in the end game for this relationship would be whatever I think it should be. So thankfulness requires this incredible sense of humility where just in the act of thanking God that he's at work when you can't see it or understand it it is an act of humility. It's taking our own steps into our own createdness. It's yielding our our sort of unjust sense of sovereignty over the relationship and saying, God, this is, this is not in my control. There are so many things that this, this little key called thankfulness does when you kneel before God and you give your heart to God in that way and he unlocks so many things that in the spirit are so... Um, for, for that in the spirit, they're so uh, mandatory, they're so critical for you to experience the fruit of Jesus' life in your heart. And, and, and there's so many ways that we go about it and try to get it, but the bottom line is if you just started here with thankfulness and you started in relationships that are difficult and you would dare to give thanks that God is at work when you can't see it. And you would dare to trust that his outcome is in his hands, not yours. That will transform your heart towards those people and give you an authentic love for them. You see this picture of authentic love in verse 17. Look with me on, at chapter two. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. When you go through the book of 1 Thessalonians, thankfulness, it comes up over and over and over. And here you see this kind of fruit that this, this heart of thankfulness creates a life of authentic love that Paul has for these people. And you see it in this, this attitude of gratefulness for them. He thinks of them all the time. Right? He doesn't think of them in, um, 
sort of economic ways, like I have a meeting with the Thessalonians, right? He's going, I long, he has this longing to be with them, longing to see them. There's genuine relationship and communion with them. There's a place where before God, his relationship with them and his love for them is a, is a reason for joy. That God turned this moment of deep opposition into a new community of love where Paul has brothers and sisters in a new family. And so his sharing of Jesus and his love for them comes from this heart of thankfulness. Now I know that, that, that perhaps this whole idea scares you because quite honestly, we have, we have all learned that when we love deeply, it means that we can be hurt deeply. And, and so what we will do is we wanna re, retract and sort of turn this whole concept of bold Jesus kind of love into like something like tolerance. And tolerance is simply like I'm not purposefully hating you, right? In the name of Jesus, I'm doing that. <laughs> so, so I'm sort of very apathetic towards you, ignoring you, just sort of, oh gosh, they texted me again, kind of a thing, right? But love creates this, and that scares us to death, doesn't it? That kind of love changes the world. That kind of love looks so much like another kind of love, like Jesus' love, right? It's a revolutionary love, not just a tolerant love. Here's, what it will, uh, here's how I think this works. Uh, I'll show you some slides. So you have these people in your life, these people, maybe difficult people, uh, they're your spouse, your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your church, and you have to take them through this key of thanksgiving. You have to bring them before God. And in that moment, you're living into the gospel in, a, in such an authentic way in the midst of the, re, the raw sort of reality of your heart. And when you are before God, giving thanks for these people, God is at work in you, converting, unlocking, unhooking you from, from all your sort of natural tendencies and attitudes and apathies. And in that place of thankfulness, there is a conversion that takes place where you are given a genuine love from God for those people. Thankfulness gets this interconnectedness of prayer and transformation going. It moves us into that posture that God wants us to be in so we can do these radically prophetic gospel things like love those who persecute you and, or pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Like that, that is so counterintuitive, but it can't happen, right? It can't happen in and of ourselves. Most of you think you prayed a prayer, you decided to follow Jesus and you became really good. 
and you're lying, right? You didn't become really good. You still, apart from Jesus, are going to not reflect the glory of God to anybody. So we need to bring our hearts, our relationships, our fears before God. And thankfulness before God transforms us. And so this, this idea is that that's the place of conversion for you. When you want to give up on your marriage, this is what God calls you to. Not figuring out how to pull it off, but figuring out how to change your heart towards your spouse. When you want to give up on your neighbor, a kid, a parent, this is God's answer for you, right? And it doesn't mean it's gonna work out the way you've always dreamed, but what is certain is your heart will be transformed before God. That's great, thanks. So here's the question. Who have you given up on? Who is that for you? What, where have you stopped giving thanks for that person? And a good way to tell if your heart has moved away from them is you just you quit praying for them, right? You quit bringing them to God. You just sort of go, ah. You're like Paul. You're just like, ah, just kick the dust off my feet. And God comes along and goes, hey, buddy, Stay in the game with me, right? Don't quit preaching, don't quit loving, don't keep, stay in it. What does it mean for you? What does it look like for you this week to start giving thanks to God for them? That he loves them? That the opposition, the difficulty isn't bigger than, than God, than Jesus, than the gospel. That the fruit of this is transformation in you. So when you don't see it or know it, you're gonna trust that God's at work. What does that look like for you this week to begin to simply pray those words towards those people for God's glory? The idea is this, Jesus takes thankful people and he makes them loving people. And loving people are the disciples that he uses to change the world. And so to sum this up in a really nice, tidy package, we just come to this table, right? A table that Romans is very clear to tell us while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. That's not an act of tolerance. It's not an act of apathy. It's an act of passion. It's an act of love for the Father and love for you. When he could have written you off, when you were at your worst, when the opposition was at the most heated, he entered into it in love and he died for us. Now he invites you to come and be forgiven to receive mercy, to receive grace. And to come and bring those people whom Jesus loves to this table with you.
and begin to give thanks for them and let Jesus transform your heart into love for them. Let's pray. Father God, we come to this table this morning and we come with, uh, I don't know if it's a sense of heaviness or a sense of uh, weightiness that these relationships that um, have so much chaos and pain and difficulty also reflect back to us our own sort of unwillingness to yield to you. And so my prayer is that you, Holy Spirit, would come and you would convert our hearts and that you would take us and allow us to begin to speak words of thankfulness to you towards them. And as we do, Holy Spirit, would you, would you use that, that act of worship and devotion to actually transform us by your mercy and grace. Would you take our intolerance and our apathy and our hostility towards them and the hardness in our heart that comes from that and would you convert it to your love for them, Jesus? And Holy Spirit, that 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 love would actually profoundly be affecting our hearts, creating gratefulness and thoughtfulness and longing and love and joy towards you in them. I know this is gnarly, God. This is hard stuff. But I thank you that you're greater than the opposition. And so come, Lord Jesus, into this moment and touch us with your truth and your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com.